I mean, no, I mean it's so unavoidable. People think it's my, that I'm talking about my son, but I'm really talking about my husband. We'll see where it goes. I sent the outline, but you know, it always deviates usually. So we'll just get started. Hey everyone, welcome to Bundle of Hers. Margo here in the studio. And something I wanted to talk about today was a big part of my identity and that I feel is really underrepresented and at times has been very isolating for me. And so it's been very important to talk about it and share my stories and um, have conversations with my friends. So real talk, I've been trying to get pregnant for the past six months or cycles, however you want to look at it. And I feel like I've learned so much in these past months. Again, that comes back to the importance of creating community and sharing stories so that when you're going through something that a lot of people aren't talking about, you can build community and support and derive power from that. Um, So today I invited two of my awesome friends to talk to me about this story. And part of this, what I wanted to have this conversation about, not only to share with my friends and get their perspectives on their own journeys in um, getting pregnant and starting a family in medical school, but also the barriers that I told myself about getting pregnant, which was even before medical school, I thought I couldn't be compatible with having a career in medicine and having a family. And then once I was in medical school, there was always a reason that it wasn't a good time, whether that was step one or interviews or clerkships, all these barriers that I kept putting in front of myself. So I'd like to have your input on what you guys thought, because looking back on it, those barriers, you know, weren't really actual barriers. I could have done it (laughs) in theory. In theory, I could have done it. So in the studio today, I have my friends Kylie, who you may remember from the Mothers in Medicine episode earlier on and uh, McKenna. And so these two amazing ladies are actually in the EPAC program, which is an accelerated program into pediatrics. And so they've actually just finished their medical school and they're both officially doctors. So congratulations to both of you on that. Thank you. (laughs) So now I'd just like to ask both of you to give a little intro about yourself and when you um, decided to start a family and get pregnant and have your kids respectively. So Kylie, do you want to start? Sure. Um, So I had my daughter, Addie, who's now four, before med school. My husband and I had been married for like eight years at that time, and we always knew we wanted to have kids, and we were always putting it off, like similarly, because I was in school. And then when it came down to it, we were just like, you know, how much longer are we going to keep putting this off? I was in the process of applying to med school, but honestly, I didn't think I was going to get in. In my mind, I was like, okay, well, I'll apply, and then I won't get in, but it'll be perfect because then I'll have our kid, and then we'll reapply next year. So we started trying and we ended up getting pregnant and getting an interview like right around the same time. And then I ended up deferring a year for a few reasons. I had to take an organic chemistry lab still. And the professor told me not to take it because I was in my early part of my pregnancy Mm -hmm. and a lot of the solvents I shouldn't be around. Um, And then also she would have been born in September and school started in August. So that wouldn't have been ideal. So I ended up deferring a year um, and then having her. She was 11 months when I started school. In hindsight, I actually wish I would have like had all my kids before med school because I want to have more. And now the thought of having another one seems more daunting. Like if I hadn't had her before, I feel like I would be very similar. Like it would never feel like a good time because right now I want to have another one and it never feels like a good time. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I'm about to start residency and I want to get through intern year. And it's just, it never feels like I know when to have another one. So I don't know. It's very hard. But 
I think that having her before med school was a lot more doable than I anticipated, but it definitely creates a lot of extra work. It's something to definitely know that you are going to be dealing with going into, but I think it's definitely doable. And I don't, I think if you want kids, don't let people tell you not to do it because you're going to go to med school. What about you, McKenna? So I guess my story when it comes to getting pregnant in medical school is I've been married to my husband since 2015. So the year before I started medical school and we always wanted kids. And I guess I got a lot of kind of pushback because people were like, you can just wait till after medical school because I'm still pretty young. I'm, well, I'm 27 now, but in the scheme of like medical school, mm-hmm. people are like, you're so young, you have so much time. But it's just something we always wanted. And mm-hmm. so I did a lot of research before applying to medical school about like when would be a good time. And there's not a lot of research out there. And basically it True. says there's never a good time. <laughs> I mean, not, not even research. I mean, like other people's stories yeah. out there, it seems like. And I found this one Instagrammer. She like just basically like outlined like when she got pregnant. And I was like, that seems like a good time. And so basically since year one, I was like, I'm going to try. We're going to try to get pregnant for these couple of months during third year or like right at the beginning of third year. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So we did and we ended up getting pregnant, which was really exciting. But I kind of thought it wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was like, we'll try. And like, if it doesn't happen, then we'll just have to like think about it and like plan for some other time. Um, But we did get pregnant. So I was pregnant all of my third year of medical Mm -hmm. school and during clerkships. And I had my baby. I swear this kid, like he had like a clock in there and a timer. He knew the exact time to come out because I took my last final. And then the next day I went into labor. Um, And so there was like a dedicated two weeks that everyone got off. So I had to take less time off, which was really nice. Um, So I had him right at the beginning of fourth year, like the day that basically fourth year started. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So I really appreciate listening to stories. Like you said, McKenna, going out and reading other people's stories was something that I also did too. And But there's not enough of it, right? So that's why I'm really grateful that you guys are both here today um, to share your stories and like sort of encourage me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like both of you, I was with my partner, my husband for many years and we knew that we wanted to have a kid. And in my mind, I don't really know where these influences came from, but there was a time when I thought that I couldn't go to medical school because I wanted a family so much. And um, I actually came back to visit Utah. I wasn't living here at the time and met up with someone I was with in Girl Scouts who was a medical student at the time. Her name's Stephanie Woodward. So shout out to Stephanie if she's listening. And I asked her, I was like, I really want to go to medical school, but I also want a family and I don't think I can do it. And she was like, girl, please. (laughs) One of my classmates has had a baby. There's residents that have a baby. Yeah, it sucks, but you can do it. And it shouldn't be the reason that you don't go into medicine. So that was in my mind, like a pivotal time at which I was like, okay, I can do this. But still, it never felt right. There's never a good time. And I think a lot of that are the barriers that we put on ourselves. So when I started medical school, I was like, I want to have a baby at some point. I even like sat down with, you know, some of our deans, and they're men, and I don't think they necessarily know the emotional side and, and how that actually feels to navigate and plan um, other than the logistics of it, right? Like right. fourth year is the best time. Um, don't do it because of step one. And that's some a pressure I always put on myself too was like, I can't, I have to put step one first because it's so important, but it's not. Now that I'm in fourth year, I'm like, I could have done step one just fine, whether probably whether I was pregnant or not, I don't know. But like, I feel like it's something that is manageable. And then the next step after that was like, oh no, clerkships. You know, I have to be like on my A game and working and running around the hospital and I can't be distracted by being pregnant or by having a child. So then it got pushed into fourth year. And then there's like the interview process of like, oh, if you're pregnant during interviews, you're going to be biased against, or it's going to suck to have to travel when you're pregnant. And then you're left with like this very narrow time between 
um, starting residency and, and finishing interviews. And so it's just like a huge mess. And what I'm realizing now, there were so many things I told myself that weren't true that I could have done, but some sort of influence dictated how I told myself what I could and couldn't do. And I think a lot of it has to do with how there aren't a lot of women talking about their stories. And and yes, they're on the blogs more and more now, which is super helpful, but it's hard to find the specific story of like, I had a baby during step one, or I had a baby in clerkship. So I think like it's super helpful to know that like it was okay to defer medical school to have a baby and it worked out perfectly. But there is also someone else who has started medical school being pregnant and having a baby in the second month. I think that when you're like looking at stuff online, you always kind of think like, well, that person did it. But you don't necessarily internalize that as like something you could do. Mm -hmm. And I think that more and more we need to think about like try to put it on us and be like, I could do it too. Not just they did it and not make it external, make it more internal, like take these other people's stories and try to apply them to us and, and make it more more real, I guess. Like, I mean, all of us are like awesome and special people, but like there's nothing really extraordinary about any of us that's so much different than anybody else that makes us have like superhuman powers that make us capable of doing something that you're not capable of doing too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that sometimes you think, well, there must be something special about them that made them able to do that or overcome that challenge that I don't have or that I can't do. And I just think that that's totally false. Like, you can do it too. And if you think that there's like some invisible thing that makes them more special or more capable, like just no, Mm -hmm. there's, there's not. You could do it too. I think that it is really common to get I don't know if I want to say the word bad advice, but like advice from people in positions of power that have not actually been through the experience and then that deter you or like influence Mm -hmm. your entire career path. Like take that with a grain of salt because it does feel very like that's the end all be all. I think when you're sitting in the dean's office and they're like, well, you should do this X, Y, Z thing, but they've never been through that thing. They've never had that experience in the same way that you would take that with a grain of salt because I think every female medical student or future medical student is going to have similar conversations Mm -hmm. and there will probably be somebody at some point that's going to tell you it's a bad idea and like just okay well that's their opinion but there's going to be a million other opinions out there and I think it's ultimately it's your life they're Mm going to know you for like three years while you're a medical student four years while you're there and then you're going to be gone and you're probably never going to see them again so Don't let them make your entire life choices for you. And this conversation is kind of crazy to have with people. And especially like we are such planners, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're like, I have to get pregnant on this day and I'm going to deliver my baby this next, like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. So like when I was a first year medical student, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get pregnant third year. So I have to like figure this out. (laughs) But it's like a secret, right? Because like you don't know what's going to happen. And it's so like you could try for a long time and not or think like life happens and you just don't know. I remember reaching out to when I was a first year, she's, I can't remember if she's three or four years older than us, but there was a pregnant fourth year. Mm -hmm. Her name was Lena Weber. If you're out there, (laughs) I like felt like I like secretly messaged her on Instagram, like, hi, my name's McKenna and I saw you were pregnant. Um, How'd that go? <laughs> like super weird. And I remember being like, I hope no one like reads my DMs. That's yeah. not her because I, I don't know, it feels like such a secret and it's not like families happen. Like people want to have families and people have priorities and we should be able to talk about it more and empower everybody. There's something that makes it feel like we have to keep it a secret or be ashamed that we want to be doctors, but also be mothers. I, I don't know. It's just like built into our society somehow that 
we feel like we have to be secretive about it. And I appreciate that you said that so much because I think that's something that I thought about too is like I would talk to Kylie, but only in private, like, oh, I want to have a baby and and be very conscious of who I was having those conversations with. Mm-hmm. When I was in the dean's office, they were like, have a baby this month and then it will be perfect. And they talk about it like it is so mechanical and like you have all the control over it. It doesn't happen that way as I learned. And so I would encourage all the listeners and what I've learned and you've just reinforced to McKenna is that don't be afraid to talk about it because the more we all talk about it, the more it becomes normal to have these different ideas and journeys and struggles in medical school surrounding getting pregnant and starting a family. It was something else that you told me too, Kylie, was like, it's not when I will get pregnant, it's how I'll make it work. And so that too really resonated with me in deciding after the first couple cycles that it didn't work, I was kind of like, I was like, oh, it'll, you know, it'll happen. I think it will happen. And then um, it didn't. And I was like, okay, well now it's a priority. And once I made it a priority, it seemed like everything else was possible. All the things that I was telling myself that couldn't happen about medical school and, and residency all of a sudden seemed so trivial compared to the journey that I was now starting on. Once it becomes a priority, because if it is part of your identity, you should be proud of that and you should own it. And as medical students, it shouldn't be something that we should have to hide. The way it was talked to me about was something that could be planned. Like, okay, you're going to try to get pregnant at this month and then have a baby and deliver in this month. And that will be perfect because your interviews, you'll be early pregnancy and and it was going to be perfect. Right. And I front loaded my schedule so that I would basically have a five month maternity leave the end of fourth year. And it was going to be awesome. And two of my friends had gotten pregnant on the first cycle and, you know, had healthy pregnancies through. And I was like, okay, perfect. It's going to happen. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, (laughs) literally what the fuck yeah what happened like and it seems so weird because we're brought up in medical school to be very data-driven and and think so evidence-based right about how and what all the moving components and so then that consumed my life of like diving into the research and like cycle charting and collecting data and each month that it didn't happen there was like this emotional component of like feeling like a failure for no reason and it's like all the data is there, but I still felt like my body was defected in some way. And so that was really hard to navigate, but it kind of gave me a new perspective on like when we tell patients something that's very evidence-based, we don't address the emotional part. I was like, I understand that now because I can't explain it why I feel that way, but I do. You know, as teenagers, we are made to seem like you could just get pregnant by someone coughing on you, right? Like, it's so hot easy. Tubs. And like, hot tubs. Yeah. I never mean, want to go in a hot tub. tub. Exactly. It's like, boys. <laughs> yeah, don't even look at them. You're going to get pregnant. So we go into it with this idea that, like, we've been avoiding pregnancy most of our lives, putting so much effort into thinking about that. And then all of a sudden you switch your mindset to now wanting to become pregnant but thinking it's going to be easy because most of your life you've been told how easy it is to get pregnant. And then when it doesn't happen, you're like, what? So I'm just curious because this is something that I had, you know, an end of two, my friends got pregnant on the first cycle. If you guys don't mind sharing, how long did it take you guys to get pregnant? I got pregnant on my first cycle and actually a month before we really wanted to try. Technically, my son was due like while I was still in clerkships, which Mm -hmm. was like not ideal. Right. And so it was a little bit early. So it happened really fast for us, but I was obsessive about that stupid, not stupid, it's a great app, but like tracks your fertility. And like, I have never opened apps so many times in my life, like over and over. I'm like, just crazy. And like, just reading on like forums and like not evidence-based stuff. Because like, (laughs) I tell people, you should look at evidence-based things, just like all these personal stories about people 
it's just like an obsessive process. It was all consuming. And I did get pregnant really early. So like the thought of like extending that level of anxiety sounds really exhausting. No, it totally is. And and just cycle tracking. But you can become obsessive about it. And I was for a long time, like several months. And it was so hard to balance with my sub internship. And you feel like every time you open the app, you're going to learn something new, something like profound that will change what you've been doing and then all of a sudden make it better. But the fact is it, it doesn't. And it's a kind of a double edged sword, right? It can be very helpful to track your data and know your body very well, but also can become very time consuming, especially when it doesn't work. Yeah. So I was tracking cervical fluid and basal body temperature, and I had been doing it for several cycles before we started trying. So I kind of knew like what my cycles were like, and I knew typically when my fertile days were. And then on the cycle um, that we started trying, I didn't get pregnant in the first cycle. I got pregnant in the second cycle. I actually took a pregnancy test and I didn't think I got pregnant, but I took it too soon. And I, then I took one again a few days later and it was positive. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but it is, I feel like making sure and like timing and like we have to have sex today. Yeah. Like I am fertile. This is happening. I know we only have like 10 minutes, but like come here. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that that, if you're trying for several cycles in a row and your schedules are really busy, but you know which days you're fertile and you only have a few fertile days every month. It's not necessarily always really romantic, Mm -hmm. which I think is something that maybe not everybody always talks about. But other than that, I think, you know, the process, because I had been tracking, was easier than Mm -hmm. it would have been otherwise, because otherwise I had no clue. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and what you were saying about how you should keep it romantic is something that they say on all the websites of like (laughs) tips to like increasing your fertility is like, don't make sex a chore, you know, make it romantic. But so just from my personal experience, when you're like four months into trying and you're on your sub internship, so I was working 13 hour days on the Hemox service and it was like my fertile days. And I'm like, okay, go home. And I'm like, I know I have to have sex. We've been trying for four months. I am exhausted, but we have to do this. There's like, there's no way to really put romanticism in that. Sometimes you just got to do it. And like, it's not romantic it's not pretty it's just it is what it is so that part you definitely have to consider too and especially like at different points in medical school it might make it easier to have that process so I think in first and second year you have a lot more time like to be mentally and emotionally present and have time to have sex versus like in a residence schedule it's always changing it just is really hard and then it does feel like you're just coming home and like okay gotta have sex and then go to bed yeah (laughs) there's nothing else and then the other thing about tracking too that's really difficult at least on my sub-internship is the ovulation predictor kit so basically another stick that you pee on to detect your lh surge to figure out when you may be ovulating you're supposed to do it more in the afternoon because that's when the hormone level is higher so you know I would take my ovulation kit at lunch, like right after rounding and go hide Mm -hmm. out in the resident bathroom or like the call room bathroom, like pee on the stick. And then you have to wait 10 minutes to get your results. So I'd be like in there charting, like (laughs) waiting for my stick, hoping nobody would walk in. And just like, again, the secrecy, like I didn't want to tell the residents like, oh, I'm going to be gone for 10 minutes because I have to go pee on a stick. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, I'm sure I could have, but like, again, I felt like I couldn't be honest and open about that. And so that was something I felt like I was sneaking around about. And so always in the back of my mind, I'm like, Did I, am I tracking perfectly enough? Is my data, cl-? you know, there's all these things that build up in your head about the things that you're supposed to be doing and how different work requirements can change that and affect that. And so it had so many different layers of difficulty when you're like, oh, I'm just going to get pregnant. And, you're oh, like, yeah. and I feel like there are times that 
are good and there are times that are not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> like I guess ideal and well, less ideal. Yeah. And, right. and there's starting internship. <laughs> okay and less okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and for me, I was like, I don't want to start internship and deliver like in that same month because that's a time when everybody's there to support the new interns mm-hmm. and are you're learning a lot and getting up to speed. So for me, I was like, okay, we'll take a two months off. And for me, I think it's a lot of this narrative that is historical in that women are weak when they're pregnant and women yeah. are weak in general. But then when they're pregnant, they become even more weak. And so somehow and it's that's a narrative still- perpetuated by men. And exactly. women, you are not weak. You are so freaking strong. You're so much stronger than any man when you're pregnant. Just but maybe don't tell the guys that. <laughs> I really use that card sometimes when you're pregnant, laying on the couch. I'm like, I can't. I pregnant. <laughs> you have to go do this. <laughs> True. So. Use it to your benefit. But also, I think the more we talk about how strong you are, how you're just yourself when you're pregnant, but now with a little extra human inside of you, like you can still do everything. And there's no reason the narrative should even exist. Like it's just all a matter of perception in yourself. And everyone has like bad days, like when you feel bad. And that's kind of when I was pregnant. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I don't feel pregnant. I just feel like maybe I have like a couple of like tired days in a row, Mm -hmm. but it's the same. Like it's just... Mm -hmm. Everyone can do it. But I do I do think a lot of this is like the benefit of hindsight. So like Mm -hmm. like McKenna was saying, before going into it, it seems like this period of life where everything is gonna be just like so different and daunting. Oh my gosh, all the details and everything has to be perfect. And then after it's like, wow, that was like really quick and it's already over. Mm -hmm. It goes by faster and easier than you thought it would. Again, I think that if you anticipate that complications could happen and you just are okay with whatever potential things you're like, well, if I have to take the time off then it's okay, mm-hmm. you know, then you're just okay with it and it's fine. I always try to think like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And then what is going to be my response to that? If I have to take time off, well, that's okay. That mm-hmm. will be what will happen. Also, if you're like efficiency minded, you can feel like you're always multitasking. That's how I feel. I'm like, I'm at clerkships and growing a person. So that's right. nice. what did you do today? That's an awesome perspective. That's how I feel about breastfeeding. It's oh, like, yeah. I literally kept another human alive with milk that I made. <laughs> what did you do today? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. awesome. And then McKenna, earlier you talked about how your identity sort of changed and you became known as the pregnant medical student. Mm -hmm. So how has your identity changed um, now that you guys have had your babies and navigated, you know, your careers in medicine, which you both are obviously successful and already doctors. So (laughs) but now that you have kids, how has your identity changed or what have you been able to keep the same or what have you wanted to change in terms of identity? I definitely felt like my identity changed when I had Addie. There's like my mom's side and then like my other side, but they work together and it's like one can't exist without the other. Once you're a parent, you do view the world differently and things take on a different meaning than they did before. It's sort of like Thestrals, like in Harry Potter, like you know it, you can only see it if you've had that experience, Mm -hmm. sort of like that. So yeah, I think it is a part of my identity and I don't, I don't know, it just it is like a seamless transition. You're like just, you become a parent and it just becomes part of who you are, but you still always have who you are. It's always there. You don't just like magically give birth and then you're a different person. Mm-hmm. There's just like these extra elements to it then after that, I guess. What about you, McKenna? My baby's only, he's only six months right now. So I feel like I'm still trying to like figure out like what my identity is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of like an outgoing person. Like I like to hang out a lot and like I thought I would like miss it. And while I was pregnant, I was like, girl needs a drink Like the whole <laughs> yeah. time I was pregnant. And then like after the baby came out, I was like, I cannot wait till I give birth. And then I'm going to go out, <laughs> which is like not really how it works because then you have a newborn at home. But also like that feeling like I was missing something kind of went away because now I have this like cool friend to hang out with at home. Mm-hmm. That's like way cute. Mm-hmm. I think that it oh. changes too at every stage when your baby is 
a newborn, that's a different experience than like my daughter's four now. And like, I can ask her to go do things. <laughs> you know, I can, she can put on her own shoes. And that's a totally different experience than, you know, your baby's in a crib. And so I think that's another part of the conversation too, is that your experience of motherhood and like even the way that that intersects with your experience in your career, that changes in multiple stages. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's hard to even compare like the experience with a newborn, which is like super exhausting um, to the experience of where I have a four-year-old. Yeah. And I think that's important to what you said, McKenna, about finding your identity. Sometimes I feel like people expect you to have all of a sudden put on this mother hat and be that person. And there's this, you know, sort of checkbox of an identity, but not everybody has to fit into that. And like you said, Kylie, you get to, it's a seamless transition. You get to keep who you were, And you should be able to, right? But I find me telling myself these narratives of what my identity will be after birth and when I have a child and what that will look like in my career. And there's something to be said for thinking about the future. But also, I think looking back on the conversations we just had about how we talk about barriers and think about how society and the hierarchical system that we're in influences that, it's probably better to kind of just let it be like what will be will be and just stay true to yourself and who you are and who you want to be and not let other people dictate that. Um, So that's something that I'm trying to do right now because I do a lot of thinking about like a trying to get pregnant and b like what it will be like after and then Mm -hmm. see like starting residency and trying to find what my identity is. But I think part of it is just maybe just letting it go with the flow and seeing where it takes me. Mm -hmm. And people tell you scary stuff. Like true. <laughs> when you, I feel like when you're pregnant and like when you're trying to get pregnant, like when you want a baby, they like just tell you their horror stories and you're like, <laughs> wow, that was so much. And like when you're pregnant, like I had trouble sleeping when I was pregnant and people kept being like, oh, just wait till the baby's born. You'll really never sleep. Uh. I'm like, helpful. Thank you. Like, I'm really tired now. But they forget to tell you that like when your baby wakes up in the middle of the night, like he like you walk into his room and he like smiles at you and you're like, oh, gosh, this is great. You yeah. know, or like when you're pregnant and you can't sleep, you and him like have a little party because he's like moving around your belly and you're like, this is nice. Yeah. I don't know. People like tell you these bad stuff or maybe it's just like that's what sticks in my mind because they're mm-hmm. like telling you these bad things. And maybe they told me the good stuff, too. But I remember feeling like this intense fear, like, I'm going to be pregnant. It's going to be so hard. And then I'm going to have this baby and it's going to be so hard. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, but there's lots of really wonderful, wonderful parts about it. I don't think we talk about a lot of the anxiety came from just people's plans not happening as they wanted. Like, even though things were going well, it's like they envisioned in a certain way. And when it didn't happen, it was really upsetting for them. Um, So I just tried to be as open as possible. And like you were saying earlier, McKenna, there's all this fear and people tend to tell you the negative things, maybe out of caution or maybe just that's what sticks the most in their memory and then I think that's what we stick to is is hearing these negative and fearful things and then that's how we dictate our stories and our perception of how things are going to go I like what you said about trying not to have expectations because once it deviates even though it's still going okay um, and that's something that I'm applying now to how getting pregnant is mm-hmm. like I had this expectation that it would happen when it was going to happen and how it was going to go and all this time I was going to have and that didn't happen. And that was very stressful emotionally, too, for me. And now I'm just approaching it with the mindset of like, OK, it's going to happen when it's going to happen. I'm going to do what I can do to see um, somebody about my hormones and Maybe we'll have to adopt or maybe we'll have to explore IVF or I don't know, but I don't want to think about it too much. Just let it happen each month as it goes with a proper amount of like planning. 
taking that time to do what I need to do. And so like part of that is thinking of like, well, I'm, you know, have young eggs right now. So maybe I should harvest them and I have time to do that surgical procedure. And then they're there and they're younger than they would be maybe middle of residency when there's time again to do it. But there's a lot of different ways to approach getting pregnant that I didn't think to explore or knew were options. And so I really appreciate both of you being here to sort of support me in this journey and hearing your stories and just having this raw, honest conversation about like having sex and what it's like and when you're trying to get pregnant, right? And um, all the myths that you're told and how it is to track. And so I really appreciate this. And I hope to all our listeners that you can take away that it is okay to talk about wanting to be pregnant, being pregnant, getting pregnant, all the good, the bad, the ugly. Let's talk about it more. So it's more normalized and that it can be something we work towards changing in the culture of medicine. Yes. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to add or felt like? I think moms are important people in medicine. Being a mom makes you a different medical provider and it's important. Moms are valued. I agree with that. (laughs) I don't think I have any. Thank you both again for being here. I loved talking with you. And thanks also for your support. It's been really helpful to have people to talk about uh, my own journey and my own like identities forming around all of this. It can be very emotionally. I've spent a lot of time crying. I thought I wasn't going to hold it together, but I did. for this time. <laughs> And another true story on my interview, someone asked me, this was right before I got my period. So I was, my hormones were a little high. She asked what a point of adversity I had faced in medical school. And then I just started crying. And I was like, I can't get pregnant. Aww. And it was a psychotherapist. So she was like, uh, you know, it felt like a psychologist's office. And I just felt safe with her. I was like started bawling in the middle of my interview. And then I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> She's like, Aww. it's okay. Um, but I think like the more we can be honest about it like that, it's, yeah. better and she didn't judge me i mean she has experience being you know a therapist so i'm sure she was i don't know what she was thinking <laughs> afterwards but, um, i think that the more we can create safe spaces to have those conversations and to outlet those emotions then it'll be better for everybody so thank you again and um to all our listeners i know we um talked about only several of the experiences in terms of starting a family you know if you're considering adoption or ivf or Anything else along the lines, there's definitely a bunch of different narratives that we didn't talk about here today, but if we'd love to hear your story on at Bundle of Hers on Instagram and keep the conversation going. So thank you for listening and please tune in next week for Bushra's story. Done. Ah. <laughs> Woo. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.